Ready? Born ready. Welcome to another episode of Where the Party At. I'm your host, Saba Long. This is one of our final episodes of 2021. It's almost time for New Year, New Me. Now, uh, this is a re-record. We decided to redo the episode after we put it out just to make sure the sound quality was a little bit better. I mentioned in the previous version that I was not going to be in the studio uh, because like many Atlantans and many Georgians, I'm waiting to make sure I have a negative COVID test. My first test was negative. I'm just hoping that the second test is negative too. Uh, so I'm quarantining until that I get that negative test. Make sure you go get your booster. If you haven't already got the vaccine, go get it. Uh, and make sure you get tested before you go out of town or hang out with your family for the holidays. All right, y'all. So we like to start the show talking about Atlanta politics. The swearing in for the new mayor, city council, and school board is coming up. That's Monday, January 3rd. And the in 2022, the next mayor and city council and the school board are going to be dealing with Buckhead Cityhood. Now, there's finally a grassroots neighborhood effort to fight the cityhood movement. That group is called Neighbors for ATL. And last week, the Atlanta Convention and Visitors Bureau came out in opposition of the city splitting. Now, ACVB, these are the folks who are in charge of making sure Atlanta is an attractive place. And they recruit uh, major conventions to come here and major events. So things like major sporting events, football championships, NCAA, that type of stuff. Um, so Mayor-elect Andre Dickens was on Good Morning America, and they asked him about Buckhead Cityhood and kind of what he was coming up against in his first few days of taking office. Uh, take a listen to what he had to say. Mayor-elect Dickens, want to talk to you about Buckhead. For people who aren't familiar with the Atlanta area, Buckhead is a very affluent part of Atlanta, and there has been some talk among some residents. They want to secede from the city of Atlanta uh, because of this uh, rise in violent crime. What do you say to those residents, and what's your take on, on how to fix that problem and their sentiments? Yeah, so, you know, uh, exit and uh, separation is not the answer to the problem that is stated. The problem is that we have a violent crime wave that has uh, continued to grow around this whole nation. And Atlanta is working hard to bring that down. And when I'm mayor, we're definitely going to bring it down. That is the solution to the problem. But having a portion of our city that, that wants to leave, uh, you know, I'm going up there every single day. I work with folks in Buckhead. The business community does not want to separate. A lot of the restaurants and hotels don't want to separate. All of the major uh, uh, big businesses across America that headquartered in Buckhead and in Atlanta, we don't want separation. But it's a few individuals, particularly one that's come down here from New York, that is trying to, you know, stir up trouble. And so what we're going to do is show that we can make sure we bring down the violent crime wave, continue to increase the service delivery uh, as a government. And we're going to do that for the entire city of Atlanta. 
All right, so a really interesting thing happened last week. The city of Atlanta went to market with about $200 worth of bonds. Uh, the city council voted on those bonds. None of that is uncommon or peculiar. But what the mayor's office and the city council did is something kind of gangster, and I'm not mad at them for doing it. Uh, usually when legislation like the issuance of a bond uh, that legislation is written by the mayor's office. They'll partner with a few city council members on the bill. Uh, what they did this time is they put in a poison pill provision in the bond legislation that says any area of Atlanta that tries to leave will have to pay its share of any bond debt within 12 months of leaving the city. So while it appears that this was a team effort, the mayor worked with some council members on this, there were other council members who said they had no idea that the poison pill provision was in the legislation. And in fact, they didn't even find out about it until online news outlet supporter report broke the news. Uh, so first the city finalized the bond package the day before, and then they were actively finalizing the actual sale of it the day of and actually during the council vote. So what they did was basically set this up in a way that the legislation was being introduced. Uh, the bond council, the bond companies had already seen that legislation, they were comfortable with it, and any changes, significant changes to the legislation might mean that the bond companies would back out of the deal. Uh, so the legislation did pass 11 to one, and it means that Buckhead, if they decide to leave the city of Atlanta, would be on the hook for millions and millions of dollars that they would have to pay to the city of Atlanta all at once in a lump sum. And by millions and millions, I mean nearly $200 million. That's a fat check. So again, the entire council, except for Howard Shook, uh, who represents one of the two Buckhead districts, voted against the legislation. Now, there's another council member who represents Buckhead, but he was not present at that meeting, and he is actually an outgoing council member. He's decided to not seek re-election. Council member Howard Shook, uh, he tried to introduce a piece of legislation, an amendment to the bill that would get rid of this special provision, this poison pill, but ultimately he couldn't get a second on his motion. And Needless to say, as you can imagine, he was pretty pissed off about the whole way the thing went down. Take a listen to what he had to say. Sorry, I hit my speaker button. Go ahead. Um, well, first, I want to rescind my uh, appreciation for Mr. Bond uh, for seconding my motion, um, because this is a discussion we need to have. How many of you knew about this poison pill provision? in this until today or yesterday. I didn't until I read about it in the media. Which you'd think I'd be accustomed to now after four years, but I'm not. The poison pill is aptly named. Problem is the poison's reserved for North Side households. Only. And I don't know what I'm going to do if I hear the term option mentioned one more time. I know the difference between an option and a threat. This is a brutal 
raw act of political bullying aimed at one part of the city, which is interesting given all the rhetoric about the need for everyone to work collaboratively. This is a needed paper, so it's the next one. But without these toxic um, provisions that were put in in the dead of, of night and uncovered at the last second, I think I know that if you're a supporter of either side. All right. Now, if you're wondering, Andre Dickens was not at that meeting, so he didn't vote. Now, maybe this was done to give him cover as he has to come in as mayor and try to convince Buckhead residents to stay in the city. I'm not sure, uh, but you can certainly expect many more maneuvers on the Buckhead City Hood front in the coming year. All right, next up, we're going to talk about Rivian. So everyone in Georgia's economic development and political world, they're all abuzz about Rivian selecting Georgia to manufacture its electric vehicles. Now, if you've never heard of Rivian, you're probably not super techie. That's okay. It's no shade. Uh, Rivian is an electric vehicle company. It's a rival to Tesla. Rivian has a truck and an SUV. They've got just under 60,000 pre-orders on that, uh, which amounts to about $4 billion in revenue. Uh, unlike Tesla, which has an affordable entry-level car, uh, Rivian vehicles start at about 70000 So that's on the consumer side. Uh, and then also on the uh, B2B side, Rivian is building electric delivery vehicles. So they've got a huge contract with Amazon to produce 100,000 delivery vehicles. These will all be electric. So why are we talking about an electric vehicle company on a political podcast? Well, that's easy. It's because by choosing Georgia as the state to produce their vehicles, Rivian has just handed Georgia Republicans a major win in the form of a four-letter word, J-O-B-S, jobs. Now, to be sure, jobs is not a partisan issue, uh, but you can expect this will be a huge topic in the 2022 election cycle. The last time Georgia had a manufacturing win this big was back in 2006, when Republican Governor Sonny Perdue announced that Kia was going to open a plant in southwest Georgia. Now, this new Rivian plant is expected to employ around 7,500 employees. If it gets to full, full capacity, that could end up being closer to 10,000 employees. Rivian is investing about $5 billion uh, in development and manufacturing for this particular facility, and they'll be producing up to 400,000 vehicles a year. The plant is going to be on a 2,000-acre site in north-central Georgia, just about an hour outside of Atlanta. Uh, so again, you can expect uh, Governor Brian Kemp is going to make this a central point of his re-election campaign. Uh, I'm Brian Kemp, and because of my leadership, Georgia is the number one state to do business. And because of Republican leadership over the past X number of years, we have become the state where companies want to do major relocations uh, to move their headquarters here, to move their jobs here, to move their manufacturing here. Now, Rivian or any other company choosing Georgia is kind of like 
Travis Hunter choosing Jackson State over FSU. It's about making a statement. Now, the difference here is their statements are about money. What am I talking about? Well, these companies don't choose to move to Georgia just out of the goodness of their heart or because they like our weather. Now, that might be part of it. Rivian is going to get a significant amount of money and tax breaks and things of that sort because they are choosing to move there, uh, to open up their manufacturing facility in Georgia. Now, Kia, as I mentioned before, they got more than $450 million in incentives to open up their plant in Southwest Georgia. The economic development deals are a bit complex. Uh, it's about how many jobs are coming to this particular area? What's the pay of those jobs? Is there already a skilled workforce? Uh, or is the company going to have to invest in workforce development training? How many of the folks being hired are local? These are all some of the things that go into how a state or a city fashions an economic development deal. Now, we don't know what the deal package for Rivian is going to be yet because they're still working with the state on that. Uh, but I can bet you reporters are already filing open records requests to find out what that could end up being. So will Rivian get more than Kia? I think it's definitely a possibility. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember when Georgia was competing to get Amazon second headquarters. That was back in 2018. So this was a huge national competition. Everyone wanted Amazon HQ2. Uh, Georgia, in partnership with the city of Atlanta, put together a nearly $2 billion incentive package to get Amazon. So there's a lot of money uh, at stake here. There's a lot of jobs at stake. And so, you, again, you can bet you'll be hearing a lot more about this in 2022. Uh, and by the way, this plant won't actually open until 2024. So there's a bit of a long runway here uh, in making this happen. All right, a couple episodes ago, we talked about how Gen Z is struggling with their mental health. But the reality is everyone is struggling with their mental health. Uh, so next year, Georgia is going to launch a mental health hotline. So you know how you can call 911 when there's an emergency. Well, soon, I think this is going to open up around the spring or summer, you'll be able to call 988 when you or someone you know needs mental health support. The state is expecting around 500 or 50,000 calls in the first year. There's a lot of concern that Georgia just doesn't even have the bandwidth uh, to actually implement a service like this. For the record, I do think it's necessary. Uh, but Georgia has, they only have five mental health hospitals across the entire state. Uh, they're already short staffed um, and to the tune of a nearly a quarter of their employees uh, have left. And so at the same time, you've got all these people across the state facing a variety of issues and challenges, things like losing family members to COVID, isolation, parents having to deal with, you know, issues at the school. You know, just last week, there was this national TikTok challenge encouraging kids to call in bomb threats or school shooting threats. This kind of stuff just does not happen in a healthy democracy. You know, in the early days of the pandemic, so back in 2020, uh, drug overdose deaths were up 36%. Um, so people are not okay. 
the good thing is the silver lining here is I believe mental health will end up being a bipartisan issue that the state legislator will try to work on. It's an area where Democrats and Republicans can agree and actually work together for a change. There's been a lot of talk about giving sheriff's offices across the state resources to mental health support, and that's great. That's important. Um, I have to give a shout out to the Cobb County Sheriff's Office because they're actually the first sheriff's office in the state that's providing 24-7 mental health support to detainees. So, again, that's great, but we've got to get folks help before they ever get caught up in the criminal justice system. All right, so let's do a roundup on national news. First up, a topic that I'm sure you all have heard a lot about, student loan debt. So federal student loan debt has been suspended during the pandemic, but come February 1st, if you owe on federal student loans, you're going to have to start paying that bill again uh, starting February 1. Uh, there's a group called the Debt Collective, just FYI, that's organizing a protest on January 18th in D.C. outside of the U.S. Department of Education uh, about this. You can learn more at debtcollective.org. So Democrats, as you can imagine, are practically begging President Biden to extend this moratorium and continue to hold off on having folks pay back their student loans. Uh, 2020 is obviously a big election year, and Democrats believe this is an issue that's not only good public policy, but it's also a good way to get Gen Z and millennials to come back out and vote. And then there's also some talk about if Biden has the authority to just unilaterally cancel $10,000 in student loan debt for every borrower. Now, this is something he actually promised on the campaign trail, and he said that it needed to happen immediately. Uh, but now they seem to be doing a little bit of waffling or backpedaling and saying that, well, they're not sure if Biden has the power to change this. Take a listen to this clip uh, from uh, Joe Biden on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert back in May 2020 when he was running for office. There's bailing out of businesses, which is a good thing to do. What about the students? Is now a time to forgive student debt and then restructure how we pay for college so we're not here again in 10 years? The answer is yes. That's why I proposed and, and the House, Nancy, put it in the plan to immediately provide $10,000 in debt relief as stimulus right now, right now for students. A minimum of $10,000 relief. I've also proposed that you, in fact, have... If you come from a family where you are making less than $125,000 a year, the family, that you, in fact, are able to go to a state university for free, for free. And you get debt relief for those who've gone to those universities in the last five years. Also, you got so you can hear clearly in that clip that Biden promised this um, and he's been in Washington long enough to know what the president has the power to do and what they don't have the power to do. So either he knew that he didn't have the power and he just made a campaign promise that he knew he couldn't keep, um, or they are just trying to hold their fire on this uh, and try to keep their political will uh, to do something else. I don't know. So speaking of political will, Joe Manchin versus Joe Biden, the battle of the Joes, 
So Vice President Kamala Harris was on Charlemagne the God show, uh, which, by the way, clearly she listens to our show because last week I said, Kamala, you got to get on black outlets and talk to black people directly. So Charlemagne, uh, rightfully so, asked her some tough questions. Uh, the interview started to go over. Uh, I guess they went over on time because the vice president's communications director interrupts the interview saying that Charlemagne had to wrap up. So in the final question that Charlemagne asked her, he says, who's actually the president? Is it Senator Joe Manchin or is it Joe Biden? Take a listen to the entire exchange. They're very serious. All right, who's the superhero that's going to speak against Joe Manchin? No. I want to know who's the real president of this country. Is it, Bi is it Joe Biden or Joe Manchin? I'm sorry. I just want to interrupt, and I don't think the vice president can hear you. It's Simone. I'm so sorry, Charlamagne. We have to wrap up. She can hear me. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me, Madam okay, Vice President? Okay, so I'm sorry. You got to wrap. Oh. So I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. They're acting like they can't hear me. <laughs> I can hear you. Oh, so who's the I real? Can hear you. So who's the real president of this country? Is it Joe Manchin or Joe Biden, Madam Vice President? Come on, Charlemagne. I really. Come on. I, it's Joe Biden. I can't no, tell. No, sometimes. no, 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 no. It's Joe Biden. And don't start talking like a Republican about asking whether or not he's president. Do you think Joe Manchin and, is and a problem? It's Joe, and it's Joe and it's Joe Biden. And I'm Vice President. And my name is Kamala Harris. And the reality is, because we are in office, we do the things like the child tax credit, which is going to reduce black child poverty by 50% on track to do that. We do things that are about saying that our Department of Justice is going to do these investigations and require that we end chokeholds and have body cameras. It is the work of saying we're going to get lead out of pipes and paint because our babies are suffering because of that. It is the work of saying people who ride public transit deserve the same kind of dignity that anybody else does. So let's improve that system. It is the work of saying that we have got to bring down prescription drug costs because folks who have diabetes should not be dying because they don't have enough money in their pocket. It's about saying black maternal mortality is a real issue that must be treated by everybody, including the White House, as a serious issue. I hear the frustration, but let's not deny the impact that we've had and agree also that there is a whole lot more work to be done and it is not easy to do but we will not give up, and I will not give up. I just want you to know that that, that Madam Vice President, that, that Kamala Harris, that's the one I like. That's the one that was putting the pressure on people in Senate hearings. That's the one I'd like to see more often out here in these streets. Th thank you for joining us, Madam Vice President. I'm glad to be with you. I'm Absolutely. glad to be with you. Appreciate thank you. Give Maya my right. love, too, and Doug. All right, now, I wanted you to hear that full exchange because only a clip of it is making the rounds. And folks are assuming there's major beef between Kamala and Charlemagne. But you hear how that interview ends. Charlemagne's actually very complimentary of her. Uh, so that was done before Joe Manchin threw a complete bomb on Democrats. Uh, over the weekend, he said that he was not going to vote for the Build Back Better bill. Now, this is basically like if conservative Democrats decided to absolutely kill the Affordable Care Act. 
uh, the also known as Obamacare. So Joe Manchin goes on Fox News of all outlets. So he said he has tried everything humanly possible, uh, but he just could not vote for the Build Back Better bill. As you can imagine, the White House is absolutely pissed. Uh, Manchin has met directly with the president. They negotiated, addressed Manchin's concerns. I'm going to read a portion of the statement put out by Biden's press secretary, uh, just so you can see how clearly, uh, how pointed their language is, which is not common to do that from within the party. Senator Manchin will have to explain to those families paying $1,000 a month for insulin why they need to keep paying that instead of $35 for that vital medicine. He will have to explain to the nearly 2 million women who would get the affordable daycare they need to return to work why he opposes a plan to get them the help they need. Maybe Senator Manchin can explain to the millions of children who have been lifted out of poverty in part due to the child tax credit, why he wants to end a program that is helping to achieve this milestone. We cannot. Now, progressives like AOC and the squad pushed and lobbied really hard for the Build Back Better bill to be linked with the big infrastructure bill uh, because they felt it would be more likely if both of them passed and by separating them, there was too much of a risk that one would pass and the other would not. They also just didn't trust folks like Joe Manchin to negotiate in good faith. Uh, so one of my favorite shows, uh, Secession, just wrapped up their third season. And I was thinking, like, over the course of the show, who is Joe Manchin? Like, who is the character that most that most embodies Joe Manchin? Uh, and I've got to say Stewie, but the season one and two versions, Right. Joe Biden has known Joe Manchin for a long time, uh, and Manchin is basically doing to Biden what Stewie did to Kendall. I can trust you, right? No. Sure, but on money stuff, I can trust you? No. All right, so January 6th. I think, and I probably have said this before on the show, January 6th, uh, the day that the rioters and domestic terrorists, terrorists broke into the Capitol is our new 9-11. Now, when Democrats pushed for a bipartisan committee to investigate what happened, there was a lot of pushback from Republicans saying it wasn't necessary. They didn't need to rehash it. Uh, but one key Republican is starting to change his tune, and that is none other than Senator Mitch McConnell. He is now saying that the public needs to know and understand what happened. Now, why did he just change his mind? Probably because Trump keeps coming at him, and, and Trump is trying to get Republican senators to drop McConnell as the minority leader. I don't think ultimately they're going to do that. Uh, but if Dems lose control of the Senate, McConnell will very likely get his position back as majority leader. So why would a Republican senator risk uh, removing McConnell as minority leader when there's a good chance that Republicans are going to take back the Senate in 2022. So, again, in politics, you have to remember there's no such thing as permanent enemies. Uh, but what we have seen from this bipartisan committee is, like, absolutely wild. You've got Trump Jr., of all people, begging the White House chief of staff to convince Trump to tell people to go home. 
You've got Fox News correspondents privately messaging the White House saying, hey, stop the madness, uh, even though they were going on air and saying something completely different. And now we know that Congress people uh, plotted to help figure out how to keep Republicans in power despite the election result. Now, let's be real. If this happened in any other country, the United States would be actively trying to investigate the issue. The U.N. would be involved. And this would all be done in the name of protecting democracy worldwide. The good news is folks are waking up to just how bad January 6 was and just how fragile our country is right now. And the first step uh, to, acknowledge, to fixing a problem is to acknowledge that you have a problem. All right, y'all, that is today's show. Um, I want to leave you with this quote from Bell Hooks, a radical thinker uh, who just recently passed away. There's so many negative headlines and there's just a lot of like depressing, sad news. And so I always try to end the show on a high note. Uh, so check out this quote from Bell Hooks. Hope is essential to any political struggle for radical change when the overall social climate promotes disillusionment and despair. Uh, there's a reason why Obama ran on hope. So keep the faith. It's a holiday season. Uh, have a fantastic Christmas, a fantastic Kwanzaa. Love on your friends and your family. Safe travels. Don't forget to go get that COVID test. Make sure that you are all right. Uh, drink your water. Take your vitamins. Have a fantastic holiday season. We'll see you next week.